welcome to Girl on the Gov, the podcast. Where our goal is to make politics more accessible and less intimidating. The show features an interview with an expert in the political field, walking us through the many cues we have about politics, civics, government, and more. By providing civic education in the places we are, on our phones, and in the language we speak. And yes, we know, we say like a lot. It's kind of the point. Because politics needed a rebrand. Welcome back to Girl on the Go, the podcast. Happy Wednesday. Also, also, another thing I want to talk about was this is um, today Brian Derrick's podcast launches, which I'm so excited to listen Love. to. I think it's called Vibes, and everyone should go listen because the man's genius. He's what, triple, triple guests on the show? Double? No, he's triple. absolutely a double, but he might be a triple. If he's okay. a triple, he's our only triple of all time. Yeah. yeah. Which then you know. You know you have hit gold medal levels of achievement. If you've been a triple guest and girl on the of the podcast, period. The world is your oyster. Yes. Well, also, we need to talk about the Golden Globes because there was just tea, tea everywhere. And honestly, like the Golden Globes is never exciting, I feel like. And it hasn't been for years. And it was not only star-studded, but kind of tea-filled. No, literally, I'm not an award show girly at all. Like when I was like the wee little thing, I was into the red carpet of different ones because I like love the fashion. But like I literally, even the other night, I texted my friend. So I was like, is this acting or singing? Like, because I wasn't watching. I just was like seeing the fashion cup like start to come on like IG or whatever. Couldn't tell you. I don't understand the difference between Golden Globes, Oscars and Emmys because those are all like TV movies. I think one of them's like more TV than movies, maybe the Emmys. But I love the Grammys because I just love all the performances and the music. But all of the like TV movie ones, I just haven't watched, I feel like, in years. But and I honestly yeah. didn't even watch the Golden Globes the other night, but I'm just seeing no. I was seeing Which the clips I, and I think the that's like stories. the era we're in though, is like so much of like how we watch things is in like clips and like we tune in after the fact in a lot of yeah. ways of oh my God, did you see what happened? But if nothing was dramatic we're passing it by for better or for worse but this i swear to god this is the year of the man that no one knows and like almost like platforming the nameless man in a sense we yeah. started this year off with simone biles husband okay i still don't know his name and i don't plan on ever knowing his name okay riding the coattail of literally i don't know the most iconic accomplished gymnast of all time so that's thing one and now here at the golden globes we have some comedian I've never heard of, like, we'll just call him Washed Up Jack, like, I don't even know, coming out with, like, the worst jokes of all time. And not only were they just not funny, but, like, they could not have proven the point of why we needed the Barbie movie in the first place. Yeah. Well, this man is is Joe Coy. And he is, how I know him is that he used to date Chelsea, Chelsea Handler. So, so that's also because of that's a woman how I know. and her accomplishments. Well, you know, some would say, some would say, but again, it's also just interesting back to the clipping part of it all of like, we also, when you watch through clips, you have to also realize you're not getting the context of the whole show or like, you're not getting his entire monologue. I didn't watch his entire monologue, but I just saw the really bad jokes and the, and the Barbie ones specifically are the ones that just absolutely killed me in a bad way and this meme I pulled it up because I just like was so accurate 
And it was like, woman makes a record obliterating film about how impossible it is to be a woman. Man with microphone. Big boobies. Ha ha. Like, what? And there's so many funny jokes he honestly could have made along those lines of like where he brought in the message of the movie and then kind of like made fun of men and their reaction to Barbie being like, oh, big boobies. Like if he was mocking the men who probably did react that way, like, but the way he, he just looked like one of those stupid guys that like cannot fucking think outside of his bubble. Well, I saw this interview with him, like a clip of this interview. I can't remember what news program this was. But it was so clear that he still didn't – he didn't get why the joke didn't land. Like, it Mm -hmm. was so over his head. And I was like, this is the problem. Like, you are an exhibit A of it. But I did see a lot of commentary on TikTok. This is obviously continuing to just not spiral but roll on as a conversation topic of, like, sort of, like, where we are in this universe. And so much of it is, like, you know what? A few years ago, these jokes would have either landed or would have just everyone kept going on their merry way. And now, like, the temperature on the room has definitely changed and is continuing to change because if you looked around the room at the reactions of people to those jokes, it was, like, cringe freaking nation. Mm-hmm. And that's a difference. Like, that really, it's, like, the little things. Obviously, we have so, so far to go because the joke's still being made and he's still being platformed. And, I mean, for God's sake, we're still in a country where in how many of our states are reproductive rights are being taken away so like again we have we're taking steps forward and steps back all at the same time it's like such a weird yeah it's just also shout out to ryan gosling too for being the man in the room who like literally the camera pans to him and he's just like no fuck you dude like just also just this is another meme literally the same message but just also hits it was like greta gerwig goes through Goes to truly unthinkable lengths to create a film that explains the basic principles of feminism in the most accessible way possible. Average man. Barbie is based on a plastic doll with big boobies. <laughs> and it's just, it's true. Like, I think the people who also, like, don't get Barbie and didn't like it, like, that's fine. It's also kind of like, it's a different movie. Like, it is kind of, like, cheesy and corny in a way, but it's it's kind of that plays to, like, the genius of Greta Gerwig being like, no, I'm literally trying to, like, make this so easy for people to understand by, like, literally using Barbies to explain feminism to you and you just, like, still can't get it. Okay. Okay. Totally. No, there is this TikTok audio that I'm putting in viral for today that is exactly that, where you have one of those situations where you explain something so simply like a plus b equals c and the person still goes i don't get it and that is the situation with quite a few people yeah. specifically men so yep. it's interesting but i think this movie will be studied for decades and decades to come and be like such an interesting pinnacle of things so i just think it deserves all the awards and i've never even seen it i will even say and it's not because like i have an issue with it it's because i have adhd and girls and it's a long movie you know i can't sit through that you know i can't and i do think if i'm gonna be critical the marketing team overexposed the movie to a point where i was like i can't so i just was like i've seen the movie without ever seeing the movie if that makes any sense but i totally support its values and all those those the movie brought back the movies I haven't been to a movie in years, mostly because I'm afraid. Even though I like go to a festival oh, and of concerts shot? of getting shot, 
But I went. I went this summer because of the marketing, because of like the community, the camaraderie that it created. And it actually was really life-changing for me to like go into movie theater. The smells, the like cheesy 80s carpet, like everything was so nostalgic. And I was like very glad I went. So shout out to Barbie for that. Okay. A, love. B, you know what it is about, I think, movie theaters versus concerts. It's like in a movie theater, like you can't run. Like there's nowhere to go. Yeah, like, you're it's really hard dark. to get out of a movie theater. Totally. Whereas like at a concert, I'm not, look, I don't, we don't do math here. So I don't know what the odds are, but it just, it feels like you're not trapped unless mm-hmm. you're in like a really congested spot, which is why I will like never be in a pit. But the fact that we even have to think about these things, like we, what, four days into the new year, we already started off with a school shooting, like mm-hmm. a mass shooting. So insane. So yes. Uh, okay. Yes. I have something happy though. Okay. Something like I'm dying in it. So obviously you guys know that we are huge Sorbo stands on this podcast. Like mm-hmm. that's pretty much the premise of this pod. Like who are we kidding? And anyways, I guess she went on Craig's pod and we're talking about like what like the Christmas presents were, like what the exchange was. And turns out at the Cincinnati Zoo, so I happen to know about this hippo because I love hippos. It's the whole thing. There is literally this little like baby hippo named Fritz, and he's so freaking cute. Go find him on TikTok, guys. You will not regret it. Anyways, you can go and brush the hippo's teeth. Like you can like you get like a big toothbrush. And so he got her literally like a flight to like Cincinnati, Ohio, so random to go brush Fritz's teeth. And I just That's if anyone's pretty listening, amazing. She needs to marry please. him tomorrow. No, literally. I'm like, this is the most perfect gift of all time. Like, obsessed. I saw that and I was like, I it was hilarious because I didn't know. I don't know about I don't know about Fritz. Um and and I especially when they said when he like were unraveling what the gift was, like the Cincinnati, Ohio, and then the zoo, and then the hippo. I was like, oh, like cute. And then just the niche, like randomness of like the act of brushing its teeth. I was like, what? But it's amazing. I'm obsessed. Definitely brought right? joy. Ugh, such pure joy. Also, if anyone wants to sponsor us to go to Cincinnati to go brush Fritz's teeth, please, please. feel free to sign to DMs. I would that love is, that. Yeah. Basically, this is what our dream trips of 2024 look like. Going to Cincinnati to brush Fritz's teeth. Teeth. God, teeth. teeth. Mississippi and West Virginia. So call us interesting. Yeah, Definitely. Also, just before we get into this episode, just have to bring up the kind of iconic January 6th speech. Was it in his speech or was it in a press conference, Biden? Biden basically almost yeah, called Trump a question. sick fuck. And I, I I couldn't tell if it was intentional or not because he kind of had like a comedic pause after. Like he knew the crowd was going to like start laughing. So I, I couldn't tell if it was like intentional because... Biden loves to crack jokes. I didn't know if it was that or if it was like he just almost literally called Trump a sick fuck. But he like, is a funny guy. I think that's an underrated treat about him. Like 100%. people don't give him enough credit. Like he, I think also, you know how like there's that classic trope of like the older you get, the less fucks you give. And like there's a classic older yes, you just saying that is out such of pocket a, things. I totally agree. I love his personality, honestly. And Yeah. Makes him a little old age, not giving a fuck. And maybe, yeah, maybe a few gaffes here and there. He's human. Give him a fucking break. Okay, well, that is enough rambling for today. We need to get into this episode. And our guest, Samantha, to the honors. Um, I can't believe we actually did get further into this in the intro. 
Guys, this episode has our very first Republican. Like, literally. Like, what? Crazy, crazy, crazy. Okay, so let's, like, build the storyline here. So there's this organization, Future Caucus, which we absolutely love. And they do such cool work. You might have seen my latest little DC trip. I was able to go for their Rising Star Awards. And what they do is they bring legislators from both sides of the aisle, state level, federal level, and bring them together to talk about issues that they can work on together. They create sort of like a slate of issues and they genuinely, they problem solve and come together and talk about issues. There's 33 states with a future caucus, meaning like a group of bipartisan legislators that are working together to figure shit out and actually get shit done. And they literally are. The focus is also young legislators too. So it's like building up this group of people that can work together, work across the aisle. And this crew is the Vermont Future Caucus. So the two leaders of that. So we talked to them about how they work together, what that looks like, the importance of bipartisanship. I mean, you guys might remember we used to have the bipartisan bell, which we haven't run in a while. We may we may have to get back to that. Yeah. At the this the- whole episode is the bipartisan bell happening right in front of our eyes and our ears. No, it literally is. This episode is with Rep Casey Tooth and Rep Mary Catherine Stone. We are getting the sock into bipartisanship. I Wait, mean, who also literally got engaged on oh, yeah. the house or the balcony, which she explains the full story in yeah. this episode, but literally came into this episode being like, oh, by the way, I just got engaged in our Moment house chamber. So tune in for that story. It's no, also literally, included. And she DM'd us and was like, wait, on the list for your civically engaged sweatshirt. It's so perfect for her. So we might do, just FYI, a new merch launch in the coming months. So stay tuned for that. So anyways, without further without ado. Without further ado. Here is the Vermont Future Caucus, Rep Stone and Rep Tooth. Hey guys, popping in with a reminder to sign up for the GovHub newsletter. This weekly pop of politics is designed to share action items, resources, and quick links to civic engagement tools and topics directly to your inbox. Save it, share it, and sign up for a pinch of productive politics today by going to girlonthegov.com or visiting this episode's description. If you work in the political space, listen up. Here at Girl on the Gov, we have built our whole business around effectively marketing political messaging through digital media. And we want to help you do the same. We have a full digital media consulting menu these days tailored specifically to the political space. Number one, hashtag viral. It is our paid social media newsletter that comes straight to your inbox every Tuesday. If you've ever thought uh, this meeting could have been an email, this newsletter is for you. We give basics to best practices, platform updates, and the content ideas you need to go hashtag viral. And for offering number two, if you want some one-on-one face-to-face attention, we offer that too. We provide social media audits and consulting to help you achieve the conversions and engagement you've been hoping for from your social media content. And number three, in our newest edition, Podcast Consulting, we are the minds behind this gorgeous political podcast for young voters that we've been running for two and a half years now. So we know a thing or two about how not only to get a podcast off the ground, but how to grow an audience. We provide podcast consulting for anyone trying to get their podcast started or provide podcast audits for those who have started their pod but want to see it take off. Podcasting is a great new in-house digital media marketing tool and a great way for any candidate elected or org to amplify their work and their voice. So head to girlonthegov.com consulting to learn more about our services and to sign up for hashtag viral to start slaying the beast that is digital media. 
Skeptical about custom beauty? I get it. My feed is flooded with customized this and personalized that, all promising to fix my split ends and my dry skin and all of the things. But when pros says custom, they actually mean it. It's no gimmick. And your formula literally couldn't exist without you. Each and every bottle of Pro's custom hair care and skincare is made to order and personalized with a unique blend of naturally powerful and proven effective ingredients to meet your needs. Their in-depth consultation analyzes over 80 factors for a complete view of your life and beauty goals, and they get personal. Pros covers everything from diet, exercise, and stress levels to uncover what's impacting your hair and skin health. They even asked me about, you know, where I live, the water hardiness that I have coming from my shower, UV index, all of the things. Next, they recommended a full routine of truly personalized products, which were only produced after I placed my order. Nothing premixed, nothing off the shelf. And I know from experience, one-of-a-kind formulas equal one-in-a-million results. Since I switched to pros, I've noticed that my hair is definitely fuller. I have thinner hair that just like will not hold a curl or stay voluminous. And ever since using pros, that has changed. But don't just take my word for it. In a third-party, double-blind, dermatologist-supervised, controlled clinical study, aka the gold standard in research studies, Pros proved that personalization works better than off-the-shelf alternatives. Try it for yourself and get your healthiest hair in 30 days or your money back. Pros is so confident that you'll love your results that they're offering an exclusive trial offer. So you can see the difference custom care can make. 50% off your first subscription order at pros.com slash girlandgov. That's P-R-O-S-E dot com slash G-I-R-L-A-N-D-G-O-V for your free consultation and 50% off your one-of-a-kind formulas. Pros.com slash girlandgov. All right, guys. We are so excited to have you. Also, so good to see you again post-Rising Star Awards, Future Caucus, which... For everyone listening, we will get into what that is and all of that tea. But we have two Vermont reps here that work as a part of a coalition under the Future Caucus. And we have to get into what that is. So if one of you, I'm going to let you guys sort of flip a coin. Who wants to take this first question of what is Future Caucus and how do you guys work together across the aisle? So the Vermont Future Caucus, we, you know, we're a coalition of legislators under 45 we're actually tripartisan here in the state of Vermont. So we have the Progressive Party is actually a third major party. So we do have representation in all three parties. And we started about a year ago. We had our kickoff. We started, a, well, a year and a half ago, but we started the session last January. And that's when we really had our kickoff. So we've been at it for about a year and a half. And we are working on, I mean, we'll get to what kind of our goals are. I'm You're sure. working together is the main thing. Yeah. And, on legislation yeah. to help all Vermonters, but particularly legislation that impacts younger Vermonters like us. Amazing. Well, what was kind of the inspiration behind the bipartisanship of it all? I mean, I'm sure we all are on the same page of why that's so important, but was there a certain dynamic within, you know, where you guys were working that it was just like, okay, this needs to happen. There needs to be across the aisle collaboration like was there a specific catalyst or a moment where you're like we need to do this like now 
Yeah, I can go. Just personally, when I'm not in the legislature, we're a part-time legislature. So we're here for five months and then we return to our respective homes for the rest of the year. I work as an occupational therapist, which is a frontline healthcare worker. And when I'm working in the hospital and treating a patient, I can't just go in and take complete ownership of the patient and say, well, it's my way or the highway. This is my treatment plan, my diagnosis, because then it wouldn't be providing the best care and it would actually like impede care to the patient. So when I came into the world of politics last year, it was my first time running new legislatures, second year, my, my first session here. But I was like, of course, why are we not going to work together? You know, we right. have really pressing issues that are impacting Vermonters like us right here and right now. We don't have time to muddy the waters. We must and have to work together. So that's that's just the way I'm wired. And I'm glad that the Future Caucus is here to support that way of thinking. And, and there's a law of, you know, there's politics. We, we're politicians and that, that's what happens. And so it, when I think about the people I represent, I represent people of every political party. And when I'm in my hometown, I represent Republicans, Democrats, progressive, independent, libertarian, basically anything on the political spectrum. So it's really good to have a place to come where we can work together and kind of just give our ideas. Not everything we agree on, we agree on. So we just move on and do whatever we <laughs> can do. But we still listen to one another, and that's what matters most. Totally. And I feel like listening is a huge part of bringing the temperature down in a room of like even just acknowledging what the other has to say, even if you don't agree at all whatsoever. And you're like, what did they just say? You know, sort of figuring out what that reaction is. And I'm curious through Future Caucus what those sort of strategies have been to bring the temperature down in the room enough to have those conversations or to know like, hey, okay, let's walk away from this one, but let's sort of you know move over to another issue what does that look like do you, you uh, know? I can, yeah uh one of the things that we did we actually went to future summit in indianapolis and there was five of us that went from vermont it was we were pretty well represented and when we were there we actually were able to kind of open up a little bit more and talk to each other you know like a friendship level more of than a than a political opposition you know so we were able to actually break down and talk to each other and say this is how i really feel about this issue instead of a debate on the floor or a debate committee, we kind of introduced ourselves to more of a personal level. And I think that was something that was really beneficial for us. And we're trying to get more people to go next year yeah. um, because I think that was one of the biggest things that was able to allow us to yeah. work together. And then bringing that sentiment home, that's what makes Future Caucus so important is it gives us designated time and space to have those conversations. And we may walk away still disagreeing with each other, but at least we've had that time to intentionally listen and understand another person's perspective. And you don't always get that when you're on the floor because things move so quickly and you go in there and you already have your arguments lined up, like you're prepared for battle. Having the future caucus is a place to slow down and be able to have that human connection with someone else who may di differ in their opinions from you is crucial. And I'm very thankful that we have that. Yeah. 100%. Well, there's also this kind of generational aspect to Future Caucus, how they kind of zero in on these younger legislators like yourself. Can you explain why that's so important and why that's such a crucial element to this work as well? Do you want to go too? No, go ahead. Okay. <laughs> well, I represent, I'm one of one of the representatives of Burlington, Vermont. I'm the junior, junior representative. And the particular district I represent includes University of Vermont and Champlain College. So two universities. So when I come into the state house, like my constituents are the, at the forefront of my mind. And a lot mm -hmm. of my constituents are younger Vermonters. And 
So yeah, I mean, and I'm a younger Vermonter myself, but it's also like the people I represent are some of our, our youngest, our younger generation. So, yeah. and, and I have two children, they're eight and seven. And that's for me, it's like building a future for them as well mm-hmm. as for me and my neighbors. That I'm, most of my neighbors are around the same age as me. And, and so I get a lot of the feedback from what is really important to our generation, but then looking at our future generations. So my two mm-hmm. kids growing up and what's best for them and also be like teaching them how to have a conversation in the political spectrum without it being so divisive and being able to listen to other people. Yeah, totally. Which I think in the last few years, if not like a little bit longer than that, the conversation that we have conversations has gone out the door wazoo crazy. And like, even when we started Girl on the Gov, one of the things was about bringing the temperature down of like having conversations where we actually talk about issues in the background and you know, being able to get to sort of the meat of it without screaming at people or screaming at each other. We were like, we don't want to be MSNBC or Fox News. We want to just like actually chill and have these conversations make that so much more normal and bring that to young people and sort of try and model that. And so especially, you know, having kids and all of that, thinking about modeling conversations for the future, what does that mean to you guys? Like what is trying to be sort of that change agent? You know, what is that responsibility? I you want to do that? Yeah. yeah. I mean, another reason that I ran for office is because I want to break down barriers to make it easier for young people to serve. I hold a lot of marginalized identities. I am young, queer, Arab American, a woman, like all of the things. And so there's not a lot of representation for folks like me currently. And mm-hmm. that's the reason I ran. It's like, if you don't have a seat at the table, then you got to make one, even if it's pulling up a folding chair. And so when I knock on doors and I see other young women in particular who are like, oh my gosh, you're my representative. I would love to do that. How can I do that? I'm like, I'm going to pave away and I'm trying to break down doors and bust ceilings and all of the things in order to make it easier and more accessible for younger generations to come and and take my place and serve in my position in years to come. So that's a huge part of that. That's when I said when my constituents at the forefront of my mind, that's like the whole thing. It's like, I'm already thinking about how can I pass the baton and open up this table? Yeah. And it's really important. Like when I was first elected in 2018, I thought I was going to come down here with my fist up. I was going to fight everybody. And mm-hmm. Vermont is a lot different than what you see on the news in you know DC and I'm assuming other states. I came in and like, I was like, yeah, you know, I'm, I'm ready to fight. And they're like, how are your kids doing? You have really cool kids. What do they do for sports? What do they do for fun? <laughs> I'm like, I don't hate you. And I'm supposed to. So like building those relationships with people allow you to have tough conversations, but allows you to have conversations where they listen to your voice. And if you just put your feet to the sand and you say, I'm, you know, I'm sticking to this and I'm not going to move. You, you can't really work well with others. So it's all about like working well with others and you know, future caucus is really good for younger people to like, like Rep Stone said, getting more people involved, making it comfortable for them to come into a space that they might be intimidated by. Cause that does happen when I talk to people, they think that we're at some level. I'm like, we're at no level. We're just like regular people down here trying to do what's best for our constituents. Yeah. Yeah. And that makes me wonder too, just kind of like, what does, what does this bipartisanship look like in practice? Like what are some of the methods and such that you guys use to like really work together and have that be effective? I'm sure again, like you said, I was going to ask a similar question about like Vermont versus say, I'm sure another state is going to be a little bit of a different dynamic. 
but at least for you guys, like, what does that really look like? And especially maybe like in the process of creating legislation, like, is there a certain like process, like checklist or tangible kind of method that you guys run through that does make bipartisanship easier to achieve? I mean, we just keep saying the same thing, but conversations are key. And I think really taking the time to carve out conversations about what is important to you, what is important to your constituents, what's impacting your family right now, and then figuring out like where our Venn diagrams overlap. And then, I mean, as far as future caucus goes, and then going from there to create legislation that we can both agree on that we know is going to like make it through the finish line. So for example, this year, we, our banner issue is criminal justice reform because that issue is impacting like every single person in the future caucus in some way, shape or form. And it's something that we can all get behind. The experiences and the ideas that we bring are pretty different. Like the experiences and ideas that Casey has, he lives in Franklin County, which is a more rural area in Vermont as compared to mine living in Burlington, which is the biggest city in Vermont, like very different. But criminal justice reform is something as we went around the table and like talk, it's something that our Venn diagrams like Mm -hmm. common yeah yeah so it's conversations and then figuring out where we overlap yeah because we built like like you said we built relationships with people so you can have i use humor a lot just to get to know people and so like we could use that i'm so i'm a republican in a state there's only 37 of us out of 150 and the governor and oh we get the governor yeah, uh, but we get we are also the first republican on our show i'm pretty sure right? yeah there <laughs> we go welcome wow that's i don't know what to say to that <laughs> but we, you know, we try to, because there's like, obviously things we're not going to agree on. We know there are yeah. things that we don't agree on and we're never going to agree on. And well, so we got domestic, but well, likely not well, going to agree on. Well, yeah. so we, <laughs> we had, a, had a conversation about a certain bill that we were, you know, we were in opposition and we listened to each other and we, I heard from the other side what it meant. Didn't really change my perspective on it, but it did get, make me think a little bit harder on how we can improve the bill. Mm -hmm. So it's like those kind of things where we can just break down barriers and just talk to each other. Yeah. I'm also curious too when those signs, you know, I said, who knows? He may change his mind with more conversation. It gives me hope. It's better than just going in and like not having the opportunity to talk to someone. You're like, oh, they're going to vote no for this forever. It's like, well, I don't know. Come back to us next year. We may keep having conversations in case he may come around. He's talking about legislative pay if you want to know. I know that's ah, increasing. Gosh, yeah. okay. That's that's yeah. <laughs> well, I was curious too. You mentioned earlier about when you do disagree, like what's what what are the next steps in that situation? Like you said, sometimes you just kind of push things to the side. Do you table it? Do you're like, let's come back to this another time, another session? Like, or do you yeah. maybe scrap stuff? Like what is yeah. the Yeah, I think we just table it and we're like, we're not gonna get anywhere with that. Let's just move on where we can. We had a we had a really good meeting with the future caucus and they like we just everyone talked about the bills that they had and we were talking about and I think we came to the consensus of criminal justice reform just because that was something that we all were agreeing on because right. not gonna it's really hard even in a group of what has twenty two or whatever we um, have yep it's really hard to get everyone to agree and it's even hard like I'm I'm in the Republican caucus there's thirty seven of us we don't agree on everything. And it's really hard. It's like herding cats with legislators because we all have our egos and we all have <laughs> our agenda and we all have different constituents. So, you know, yeah, sometimes yeah. party label doesn't mean anything. It just, yeah. oh, this is where I'm from. And this is I have students about. and he has farmers. I mean, you know, like, yeah. not to oversimplify, but we're, yeah, very different. Totally. And like, even thinking about the application of laws, like a state like Vermont, it's like, 
how something's going to play out in a rural area versus a more urban or even suburban area. Mm-hmm. Totally different. And trying to think about like what those impacts are. So I'm curious to that point, what do those conversations about impact about bills look like? Like, how do you guys determine like what is going to be the most fair across different landscapes? Because it really is so vast in Vermont, like one town. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it is. And that that's like one of the hoops that we're like learning as we go. Like I said, we're only a year really mm-hmm. since our since our kickoff kickoff. And it's learning what the different legislators and a lot of our legislators too are new, are new legislators that I knew. We had how many how many in your class? Like thirty six or something. Yeah, it's the, like as many Republicans as the, there are the, any legislators. The turnover was about half yeah. of our legislator went went through legislature went through last year. So a lot, a lot of gone. new legislators. I'm not like an expert on everything. I've been here only, this is my sixth year and only my third turn. Wow. But I'm one of the up and higher up from seniority standpoint here. So it's like learning people. I w- I learned a lot my first year. I learned a lot my second year. I learned even more in my third. So like where we're growing as a caucus is like people understanding what people want and need. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I'm curious too for your tips and just like to honestly take from your guys's work to take into real life potentially. I mean, we live in such um, a divided nation these days, and people are experiencing partisanship and often toxic partisanship um, in their personal lives. And we're just kind of curious if you guys have, I guess, tips and tricks for talking with friends and family or coworkers or whomever about kind of more divisive political issues and how to find common ground. Yeah. I mean, I grew up in Alabama, you know, debutante culture, went to etiquette class, all that stuff. And what they teach you is that you don't talk about politics and religion at the dinner table. Mm -hmm. And I believe that for a large majority of my life, especially growing up, you know, as a Democrat, a young Democrat in rural Alabama, I was like, yeah, I probably don't need to be talking about politics, but you know what? Throw that out the window. I'd say do talk about those things. Have those hard conversations with your family and your friends over the dinner table when you're in communion with an, with one another. Because if not, like it's not going to happen and that division is just going to continue to grow. So mm-hmm. again, saying the same thing over and over, but conversation is key and like humanizing your opponent, the person across the dinner table, the person across the aisle, that's the first step. And I feel like that's not happening. We yeah. just... Mm-hmm. Where if we're, we live in fear of the other and fear of talking to someone who has differing opinions. And that's both sides. Like yeah. when I talk to, when I knock on doors, I get it from both sides. And it's what I found is I have two ears and one mouth and to use them accordingly. And so I try to listen as much as I can, because I can be very outspoken and very opinionated as uh, Mary Catherine might tell you, I'm very opinionated and stubborn. But <laughs> when you listen to people, you actually can start to learn where they're coming from what their experiences are and why they feel that way. And then just validating their, what they're saying that you heard them and it just, it helps you like people understand it. and it helps people come to you. When I have people in my, in my town, they know that I might not agree with them, but they still feel comfortable talking to me about right. the things we don't agree on because I don't come after, I, I try not to fight and argue with anybody because it's just, you don't get anywhere. You're never going to change someone's mind. So you're better off just listening and trying to understand and maybe they'll come to you. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I'm curious how those conversations go. Like, how do they end? You know, does the person follow up? You know, what is that dynamic typically like for a Vermont constituent? 
Well, for me, I've had a lot of experience. I've knocked on 20,000 doors in my three terms that I've run. There have been people that slam doors in my face. One particular instance, I said, are you a Democrat or Republican? I said, I'm a Republican. Slam the door in my face. I was just walked off. She opened the door and said, I'm really sorry. I shouldn't have done that. We ended up talking for about 20 minutes. And she goes, boy, you sound like a Democrat. And I'm like, well, I'm a Vermont Republican. And I'm a little more, I, I try to be a little more moderate. I listen to people. She like, we were going to come to terms on, so we had like a gun conversation. We weren't going to ever agree on that, but we agreed on mental health services and other things that we could. And it was very, like, she likes everything on my social media. And now she, she votes for me. I, I haven't got to the point where she's put my sign in her lawn yet, but so it's like, those are the things like you don't, you're not in there to fight people. You're like, Hey, I'm here to listen. Like, what do yeah. you, what do you want? And for me, like, it was really important for me to hit the ground running by having regular constituent coffee hours and meetings. I love knocking doors, but I also um, want to have like intentional time set up for community to come together. And so every month I have a constituent coffee hour in my community and I move around, I change the time, I change the location just to make it more accessible to different people. And that's huge. And it's not a lot of me talking when I am there. Mm-hmm. I am not like, let me tell you all about my views. It's me checking in with people and saying, how are you feeling? Like, how is it going with your soul? How is it going with your family? How's it going in your workplace? And then I take that information back and and put it to, you know, policy. And I try to stay away from national issues. I stay away from the national political conversations because it's not really helpful. We don't have a say in what happens at a federal level. We're here to represent our constituents in Vermont and what affects Vermonters. So listen and stay away from the heated issues that are really going to get people worked up and, and hate you. Yeah. I think that's really important, honestly, especially like at the level, the state level, because I think people also need to kind of like be reminded that there is effective governing happening and like it's local to you and it's accessible to you. And it doesn't have to be like what you see on these mainstream news channels and the divisiveness at the national level. So I think that is such a, a good tip. Well, we want to talk a little bit, too, about some of the legislative accomplishments that have come from this bipartisanship. So what are some, what's the list? What are some of the favorites? What is the list? A lot of our bills actually have, like, tripartisan support. As far as individually, every single bill that I put in is that tripartisan support. I'm new as a chair of the Future Caucus. What, a month ago I was appointed? Something like that? Yeah. So, and I'm new here. But I will say the bills that we're looking forward to are centered around criminal justice reform. Our our banner bill is looking at decreasing incarceration time for those who pursue um, higher education while they're incarcerated. So that's one that I'm really excited about. We already have tripartisan support. We have the support of the chair of corrections and institutions. And I'm really hopeful that it will cross the finish line this session. Yeah. And that's I'm one we actually thinking. borrowed from Colorado's future caucus. While we were at Future Summit, I sat there and I was like jabbing Casey and my other colleagues. And I was like, we should do this. And they're like, yeah, we should do that. So I drafted the bill while we were sitting in Future Summit in real time. I was messaging legislative council like, hey, we should do this in Vermont. And yeah, so I'm really excited to see where that goes. Yeah. And and there's not a lot of bills that we're going to do as future caucus this year, but there are a lot like of as bills a banner as like a bill. banner one. Yeah. yeah. We have a lot of bills that we've signed on together and are working together yeah. to try and to get we across. use future caucus time to share about that. So like in December before we came back or November before 
the holidays, we had a Zoom call and we we're just like, what is everyone thinking? Let's just have time to talk about our bills. And it was really interesting. There are people who were talking about like animal rights bills that I hadn't even thought about that, like banning, what is it like for cosmetics and stuff like that, yeah. like banning There's animal also- testing yeah. for products, just like things that I had never thought of or Casey never thought of that were like, oh yeah, we're all on board for this. And so just again, having that time where we are able to talk about our ideas and our bills has been helpful. So yeah, and we like come to each other for any kind of bill that we may have, like, are you interested in we'll sign on for it. But we also, you know, we, we do, I think the goal of the legislature, we have a lot of issues out there and I think, you know, housing mm-hmm. and um, childcare. childcare, these are big issues that are affecting mm-hmm. young Vermonters, mm-hmm. prices of houses, rental rates, everything skyrocketing in Vermont. You would think we lived in DC or something with the way that our housing market is, but like these are things that we need to worry about and we're working together. And I think you're going to see tripartisan support on a few bills, regardless of the efforts of the future caucus, even though we will be able to talk about it in our space. Totally. I think that was one of the things that I really learned from being at the Rising Star Awards and talking to, you know, representatives across the country is everyone's big issue was housing. Like I asked, like, what's the number one issue impacting y'all right now? And it was housing, 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 and a side of housing. And I'm curious, maybe from a future caucus standpoint, but also like what you guys are thinking, looking at Vermont and sort of figuring that out, like, what are some of the solutions that have come to the table? What are ones you're considering? And also, too, like, are there any of that just next? Like, good thought, bad execution not happening. I'm going to talk about last year, the bill that went through the housing omnibus bill. I mean, we're not on housing committee and we're both on education committee. So when you're in the state house, you spend like eight hours of your day in your committee and then you come to the floor and like listen to what else is going on. So we're not on housing committee. But one of the things that I know housing committee took up and they're continuing to look at is zoning in the state of Vermont. We have something called Act 250, which with the best of intentions was put in place to preserve the natural beauty of the state. But it's also making it really difficult to build in Vermont right now in our state is growing and like wants to continue to grow in order to be viable. And so we're looking at like, how do we still preserve the natural beauty of this state and our, our wonderful environment while also accommodating people to, to live here and thrive. And so that's something that we're working on. It's, it's tricky, right? Because like, I care a lot about the environment. I want to make sure that our forest and our trees and our waters are all protected and safe. But I also like, I mean, I'm living in a, 600 and something square foot condo right now. And I'm actually going to have to continue to live there for the next couple of years if I get reelected, fingers crossed, because there is no other housing option for me. So I've outgrown my space. I have one closet, which is a problem. I love clothes and I know, I don't know how I'm doing it, but I'm stuck there because there's no other housing in Burlington. Even if I had a bazillion dollars, which I don't, there's no housing. And that's really tough. Like in in my, my area, we can't find good um, professionals to move to town because they don't oh, have a yeah. house to move into or even rent. Yeah. And I go, I, I, I work at a car dealership in my, you know, that's my professional life. And I have people that work for me or with me. They can't afford to buy a house right now and they're making really good money, but they can't afford yeah. with the interest rates and the availability. They just, there's no availability. Buy. So yeah. we need to figure out a way to design. And, and I, I've spent five years on our planning commission in St. Albans Town, and we that's what we were focusing on. And how can we preserve land, develop the land properly? Because we were very, you know, we have we have a lot of different laws here in Vermont that preserve the land. What's the one where you can, like, preserve the land you buy? Anyway, you can... Uh, oh, the homestead tax? 
Buenos no, there's one where you, you can sell like a farm, can sell okay. their land to the state and it can never be developed. But we were looking at ways to, to revolutionize oh, that. Yeah, like land trust. Land yeah. trust. Yeah. Putting in land trust. And like some of the ways we were doing that is put the put the farm in land trust, but allow the land at a certain point where it's connected to the road or to the utilities, allow that to be developed and then conserve the rest of the land around it. Because we'd have like roads with one house on it that were in land trust. And like, we're not going to maintain those roads. It doesn't make sense for the town to maintain mm-hmm. a road for one house, house allow it to, to, to build. So we were working that at the local level. And as the state level, we're trying to help Support. those municipalities. And yeah. there are, there are a lot of municipalities that just, uh, they don't have the the people that the are working for them. They don't have the to capacity yeah. to, to look at what kind of grants they can get or how to work the stuff. So like, we're really trying to work with small towns and even our bigger cities on how mm-hmm. to develop properly and and smarter, yeah, yeah and a, yeah, in a responsible way, yeah, yeah, totally. Well, fingers crossed. I have tons of friends that want to move to Vermont and currently can't because there's nothing to buy. So well, a little motivation. My bachelorette condo will be open sometime. <laughs> which is well, perfect. There's nowhere for me to move. That but. leads me to the question I've been itching to ask this entire recording, which is about your recent engagement within the last, what, hour? Yeah. Please yeah. tell us. She pops on and she tells us that she just got engaged or proposed to on the on the house floor. Yeah. On the balcony. Yeah, in the balcony. Even cuter. Cute. Yeah. Please tell us um, the story. So I knew that on Say Fiance was going to come today and I was planning to introduce him our first date was actually at the state house for something called Farmer's Night, which is a free concert series every Wednesday night, open to the public. And yeah, he was coming today. He goes to Dartmouth, but he doesn't start school until next week. And he was in the area and I had a little write-up plan to introduce him. And yeah, when he got here, he said, can we go to the floor now? I was like, yeah, I can show you where to sit. And we went up to the balcony, which is where we sat for our first date for that Farmer's Night concert. And he just straight up proposed in the balcony before we gaveled in for this morning's, yeah, events or whatever. Oh so I had a write-up about him, but I had to quickly add another paragraph that was like, <laughs> in addition. Yeah, that one wasn't. No. Was I was, Luckily, I was feverishly writing. You got the standing ovation first, so it was able to. Uh, yes. The, yeah. the, how, the whole house gave a standing ovation and there were Republicans and Democrats crying. It was like, oh, you didn't cry. Oh there were a lot of people crying. It's like, okay I'm- if you cried. <laughs> but yes. So rumor has it, it was the first proposal in the state house, in the house. Couple first today. Wow. Yeah. Oh, you're yeah. the first on the podcast mm-hmm. and I'm the first to get engaged in the house. Oh, congratulations. Yeah. Wow. We love Congratulations. Her. That is iconic. Yeah. I love that. So is the wedding also going to be in the state house? <laughs> no. We we did joke. Uh, like I told the speaker of the house before it happened because I made another announcement yesterday and like I rarely get up and talk that much. And so I flagged her. I was like, I don't want you to think I'm the announcement queen of 2024, but I do have a guest coming. And she was like, oh, it's fine. And then I ran over to her and I was like, Okay, the announcement has dramatically changed. I thought I was just introducing him and like talking about his incredible like military service and he's a jazz musician and thing in New Orleans, like all this cool stuff about him. I was like, no, I'm talking about the fact that he just proposed in the balcony. And my our speaker of the house was like, You should just do the wedding here. Like, just do it today. Like, it's fine. 
Just yeah. do it today. Yeah, we're going to wait for summer for that, and it will not be in the state house, but. We're all invited. If you want to come, we're, we're, we're eloping. So if you can fit your way into a suitcase. I love it so much. Absolutely. Well, absolutely iconic. First of all, we've got a Republican on the pod for the first time. Second to that, an engagement. Third to that, bipartisanship. I mean, this is truly the package of packages. So couldn't be happier to have you guys on and, you know, talk about all of these different things. And as we wrap, curious where people can stay in touch with you guys, can follow along. Give us the plug. Yeah. Um, well, we're both very active on our social media, which Casey already brought up earlier. I am most active on my Instagram, which, as I say, I'm most active. I never look at my handle because it's, you know, I'm already logged in. It's stone4vt. That's where you can find me. And I try every single day to upload stories in real time. So if you want to see what it's like to be a legislator, follow me because I'll bring you along every single day. Love it. Love that. Is there going to be engagement videos or anything? Yeah. So actually, my fiance just texted me and he's like, will you let me know before you post? Because he knows that I will be posting. So if you follow along, there will be pictures and stories today. I can't wait. Mine is... This is just to show you I'm the older millennial. Mine is my old AOL instant messenger. I so love it. Sufi26 is both my Twitter and my Instagram because it's a shout out to my my old my old age. A shout out. A shout out to my old okay. age. Yeah. <laughs> I love, love it. it. That's iconic. That's- well, thank you guys both so much for coming on. Great conversation and so many firsts, so many things to celebrate. So thank you. Thank you all. Thank you all.